came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also so afterwards, when the sons of men came into the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. They were mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. I remember years ago before my mother slipped into the world of dementia, she used to always ask that question, where is this world headed? She wrestled with the corruption that she saw. She wrestled with some of the things that were going on in life. Not that we gave her any reason to ask that question. <laughs> but uh, she, she wondered, where, where is it all going to end? And I used to tell her, Mom, it's in God's hands. It's going to exactly where God intended it to go. He is still in control. Uh, it was hard for her, though, at that time in her life to, to grasp that concept. It's easy as we look at the world around us today to be pessimistic. I don't think this is a day in which we should be pessimistic, though. I think we have so much to look forward to as far as the, the future is concerned for us. Now, I'm not being unrealistic in that. I realize First Timothy chapter 4, in verses 1 through 3 there, he speaks of the fact that in the last days, some are going to depart from the faith. They're going to turn away from the, the worship of God, and, and we see that in the day and age in which we live. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he speaks of the fact that in the last days, difficult days will come. We will face trials. We will face tests. It, it will be a, a difficult time in many ways for us to, to live for Jesus Christ. Jesus summed it up for us in Matthew chapter 24 in verses 37 and 38 there where he says, for the coming of the Son of Man, this is, he's talking about the return of Christ now. He said, it will be like the, just like the days of Noah. For as in the days of Noah, that which were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, they were marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came, took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And so he has warned us. We can expect as we approach the end of the age of grace, we can expect things to get worse. We, we can expect trials and, and even persecution and, and so forth in our day and age. What were those days like? What can we expect as, as we approach the end of, of this age? I want us to look at four areas here today. And just a, a disclaimer here as we look at these four areas. I am not going to give you the conclusive answer on all the questions that this passage raises. Who were the Nephilim? Uh, what's going on with the crossing of the boundaries and so forth here? It's interesting to speculate. 
But God has not given us enough information to make some final decisions on some of this. There's enough here for us to wrestle with. And as someone has wisely said, it's not the parts of Scripture that, that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. Because if we understand it, then we're responsible. And we're called to, to live that out. So there will be, before I'm finished here this morning, you will still have some questions. Go back and wrestle with them. Search the scriptures, read some commentaries, come to your own conclusions on that. I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord on some of these areas today, because God hasn't said, thus saith the Lord. He has given us enough information, though, to come to some conclusions as we approach the end of the age. The first area that we look at this morning is man began crossing the boundaries in verses 1 through 4. This is one of those difficult passages. Uh, commentators will differ on how this is interpreted here. Uh, some see, as they, they read here of the sons of God and the daughters of men, some see that as an intermingling of the line of Cain and the line of Seth. Uh, the... Uh, possibility, but uh, that's not, the, I don't think, what, what he's referring to here. The, the problem with that is, who were the sons of God? Were they descendants of Seth or descendants of Cain? Uh, how, how do you draw the line there? What, what was, what's going on there? But also, the, the problem with that viewpoint is the term, the sons of God, almost always in Scripture, doesn't refer to men. It refers to angels. You read the book of Job. It was the sons of God that came into the presence of the Lord in heaven there. Satan came amongst them because he was a, a created being as well there. But they had to regularly report to the throne of God. And, and so I think what he's saying here, somehow Matt, there was a boundary between angels and man that were crossed. And there was an inter intermingling there of the demonic with mankind. We get a glimpse of that in Second Peter chapter 2, in uh, verses 4 and 5 there. He said, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others whom he brought when he brought a flood upon the earth. Notice he identifies the problem there of fallen angels somehow intermingling there with men that caused the coming to the flood. Same idea comes out of uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 there. It says, this, this is talking about the ministry of Christ after he died on the cross. He, he went, in verse 19, made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Again, intimating that this was a demonic problem that was taking place there. Now, we, that raises all kinds of questions in our mind. How could this possibly happen? How could the demonic powers cohabit with humankind and so forth? And I would suggest to you the answer to that is we don't know. And leave it in God's hands. Uh, the, the important issue is man got involved with these corrupt angels, and the result was that God had to bring judgment upon mankind. 
Why did they become interested in man? I think because they wanted to destroy the hope of redemption. Because as far as we know in Scripture, there's no redemption for the fallen angels. They, they had their opportunity in heaven. They, they rejected God as Satan did. They had fallen from heaven. And so perhaps it was an attempt by Satan to destroy the possibility of a godly line that would lead to Jesus Christ. Uh, another unanswered question is verse 3, the Nephilim, men of renown, who were they? Again, we do not know. We'll come across it. You come across it again in the book of Deuteronomy, but the word that he uses here literally means men who were seeking a name for themselves. You know anybody like that today? Anybody wants to make their name great? I think we still have some of those problems today. The root of that word can be giants, or it can be extraordinary, or it can be fallen. But as we look at that crossing of the boundaries here, and that we do not fully understand what it was, it's a sobering passage today. Because I think we see in the day and age in which we live an increase in the desire for the demonic. Men and women are, are getting more and more interested in the occult in the demonic activities, in the spells. We see it in our movies. We see it in our literature. We see it in the games that we give to our children to play if we're not careful there, if we're not discerning. Uh, Even sometimes we dress up and make it appear like harmless fun. God says, be on the alert. Don't get involved in the demonic. Don't, don't allow that to touch your lives because Satan is out to destroy, not, not to help, but to destroy. I, I rather, read a rather interesting book recently called Alien Intrusion. And uh, I, I'm not usually into that kind of literature, but I, I got the book because it's a, it touches an area today. It, it's a scientific look at the UFO phenomenon that we have in our day and age. And incidentally, the, the accounts of that are increasing as, as time goes on. And in it, the author identified several aspects of demonic activity. It was written from a Christian perspective. And in it, he also detailed how there's a crossing of the boundary in, in that, that activity, that it often involves a, a, a sexual activity. And that we are finding more and more today. We are crossing the boundary in in those areas, the limits that God set. Remember, God set the limits back in Genesis 1, one man, one woman for life. We're we're crossing that boundary and allowing all kinds of perversion to creep into our society. And that shouldn't surprise us because that happened in the days of Noah, and it's happening in our day. This was one of the things that God said would, would come as we approach the end of the age there. The second area that comes out of this passage is not only did man cross the boundaries here, but man became corrupt. We have the corruption of, of man here. Two weeks ago, we looked at the some of the remarkable incidents or the tremendous accomplishments that man did as we moved from Adam down through several generations there, some of the the areas that they excelled in and so forth. But unfortunately, at the same time, they became corrupt as well, entered into corrupt passages. And notice he says, first of all, they were opposed 
to God. In verse 3, he said, my spirit will what? Will not always strive with man. The word strive indicates that there was a battle raging. That uh, it can also be translated restrain there. And I think there is a restraint in the world today against the, the powers of darkness. And we, we can thank the Lord for that. But uh, the day is coming when that restraint's going to be lifted. Now, Jesus, as he was speaking, was dealing with the return of Christ. I believe the church is raptured before the tribulation comes. And in, in first, uh, or excuse me, second Thessalonians. Did we, we get that right up there? I had it wrong in my notes. <laughs> My wife accused me of writing a book of the Bible this week. <laughs> in, in the notes that I gave her, it said Third Thessalonians. <laughs> I said, if everybody else can write a book, I can write a book. <laughs> but I'll stick with the one that, that we have here. In, in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, You know what restrains him now, talking about the Antichrist, and so what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is it that has the restraining influence in society today? I think it's the Holy Spirit working through the church of Jesus Christ. It is uh, because who is it that's going to be taken out of the way? It's going to be the church. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be home with the Lord. Where is the Holy Spirit going to be at that time? He's going to be just as active here on the earth as he is today. There's going to be a multitude of men and women that come to Christ during that tribulation period. They're not going to come on their own. They're going to come through the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit drawing them to Christ. But we are the influence. We are the restraining force in the world Today, God is using his church to restrain the force of wickedness today. Uh, I think that raises a question that we need to wrestle with. Are we being the influence that we should be in our society? Are, are, are we being that restraining influence or, or are we just sitting back and saying, you know, it's getting worse and worse and we can't do anything about it? Yes, we can. We can be involved in the political process. We, we can be involved in, in sharing the good news. We can be the light that God wants us to be. Well, I don't think we need to apologize for our moral values and moral principles. We need to stand up for that and, and let our stand be known. We still have that right in America to, to vote. And uh, the, the sad thing is, someone said in the last several elections, the moral majority could have won the day. But the majority of them didn't get out and vote. That's tragic. We're called to be a restraining influence. And we can sit back and bemoan the direction that our society is going. Or we can say, by the grace of God, we're going to do what we can to support legislation, to support those who are in those positions that are taking a stand for God. We're going to be a restraining influence in the world today. Man is opposed to God. Uh, you don't believe that? Look at some of the recent laws and some of the corruption that has been allowed in our society. It, it is a rebellion against God himself, and the opposition is intensifying. Uh, the world today hates biblical standards. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stand for biblical standards. We, we need to take a stand, even though it may bring opposition from the world. As far as being corrupt, he also describes them in verse 5 as being wicked, or as that word can also be translated, 
evil at this point in time. Notice it's a heart issue there that that he's dealing with. He he said uh, he saw the wickedness of man, that it was great. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Now, we're warned about the danger in the church today in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 29, this is his admonition to the church. He said, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the needs of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, I read that for a reason there, because if if these things can be true in the church, if we can have bitterness, if we can have anger, if we can entertain all of that within the church, how much more can we expect to find it out in the world? Man's heart is, is evil, is wicked there. How much more do we find it taking place in the world around us today? Man's heart, he said, the thoughts are continually evil. And then the third thing as far as opposition to God is concerned is there was violence. In verse, uh, We didn't go that far, but verse 11, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. I think to a degree we have so much to be thankful for in America. We have been sheltered in many ways from the violence that is out there in the world. If you look at some of the nations uh, uh, in Africa, Asia, and so forth, you see man's inhumanity to man. You see that violence being played out over and over again. Whole villages being slaughtered, and, and, and you wonder, how could people do that? Uh, we've been sheltered. But when we start to look at some of the shootings, some of the violence that are taking place in, in America we need to realize we're not exempt from that, and we are moving that direction. It's becoming more and more popular in, in our day and age. Uh, we look at uh, the, the brutality that's taking place. We look at the, the drug crimes. We look at the road rage. Have you ever been a victim of road rage? Um, some, something insignificant like uh, changing lanes too fast. Somebody gets upset. They want to pull a gun on you and so forth. Uh, that's all part of the day and age in which we live. You wouldn't have heard about that 50 years ago, but you do hear a lot of it today. We're moving that direction. We are living in the days similar to the days of Noah. Well, that takes us to the consequences of sin. Notice in verse 3, and I know I'm jumping back and forth, but but that's okay. Uh, in verse 3, it says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. For, uh, forever because he is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Now, again, this is a question that we're not going to fully answer today. What's the 120 years for? Why, why did he tarry? Was it to build the ark? I don't know that it took 120 years to build the ark. Uh, I know people say, well, how could Noah and his three sons build an ark of that size anyhow? Nobody says it was Noah and his three sons that built the ark. They, they were the ones behind the project, but they could have hired all kinds of workers. They, they, they could have used all the technology of the day. So why the 120 years? Again, was that 
the length of a generation in those days? Uh, in our day, it's 70 years, but was it 120 back then? Uh, I, I think what he is suggesting for us in this is that same thing that comes out of Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where he speaks of the fact the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is, is not willing that any should perish. I think God said, okay, I'm going to give you another 120 years to face up to your sin, to come to a place of repentance. Remember, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was presenting the, the righteousness of God. He was calling them back to God during that 120 years. Now, I realize only seven people responded, but that they, they were given that opportunity to respond to the grace of God. And uh, as, as you think about that, you, do you have anybody that you've shared the gospel with and they've rejected it? Keep sharing. You never know when God may step in and touch that heart and life and draw them to himself. God very graciously gave them 120 years here from when he first came and, and delivered this message to, to Noah, even before his children were born. Now, God had said the end is coming and, and get, get prepared for it there. But uh, aren't you thankful that God waits, that God tarries? that he gives that opportunity over and over again for people to come to Christ. I think of my own personal life. I've wrestled with that decision for over four years before I was willing to accept Christ as my personal Savior. I'm thankful that the people in my church or the church that I was attending uh, didn't give up on me. Uh, I don't know why they put up with me that long, but they did. Uh, I'm thankful that God didn't give up on me. Because uh, repeatedly I knew that I should accept Christ as Savior. Repeatedly I said no. I wasn't going to get involved in that. You, I was fooled about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I, I'm, I'm not convinced there was a Jesus. And, and all of those stories they were telling, no, that didn't sound right to me. But God in his grace kept chipping away at my arguments and my defenses. There came a day when I... It was easier to surrender to the Lord than to continue to resist him. And, and I accepted him as my personal savior and uh, keep on sharing. God in his grace has given us this day as the day of grace. Second Corinthians chapter six says this is the day of grace. This is the day of salvation. You never know when somebody that you've shared Christ with may come and make that decision. Uh, encourage them in, in that area. But God said ultimately there's a day when it's too late. And uh, we understand that in a small way. Those that have had children that have gone wayward, you wonder why doesn't God step in and do something about it? We, we see in our day and age the destruction of family and homes and innocent victims, and, and we grieve over that. If we grieve, how much more does God? And how much more does the day come when God says, okay, enough is enough. If that's the way society wants to go, that's... This is the consequences of their actions. But as we look at that, I think we also need to look at not only the consequences of sin here, but the celebration of grace. In it, we get a glimpse of the grace of God. Notice in verse 8, it says, Noah found favor. That can also be translated, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. Uh, 
Notice how he's described in verse 9. He was a righteous man, or that word could also be translated, he was a just individual now. What is it implying? I think he's implying that in the midst of the darkness of that society, with all the corruption that was going on, with all of the people that were opposed to God, that were living ungodly lifestyle and so forth, here was a man who stood for God. I think of the second century martyr, Justin Antibus, as he was on trial for his life because he refused to present an offering once a year to Caesar. Caesar had declared himself to be God and uh, demanded that people worship him and, and at least once a year come and offer a sacrifice to Caesar. As a child of God, he could not do that. He couldn't worship two gods. And so he chose uh, to die rather than that. The, the man who was his judge actually liked Justin and, and said, you know what, just... You don't have to mean it in your heart. Just offer the sacrifice and everything will be all right. I can let you go free. And he said, don't you know? He said, the whole world is against you because everybody else was offering the sacrifice. And as Justin Antipas heard that word, he said, well, if the whole world is against me, then I'm against the whole world. I'm not going to compromise my stand, my position, just because everybody else is doing something different. You ever wrestle with that? Everybody else is doing it, so why can't I do it? Uh, Everybody else gets away with going down the highway at 70 or 80 miles an hour, so why can't I do it? Well, you can do it, but you might pay the consequences. Uh, it, It doesn't give, just because everybody else is doing it, it doesn't give you an excuse to sin. I think of Daniel and his three friends in Daniel chapter 3. Remember Nebuchadnezzar made that tremendous statue? It says, when you hear the music, everybody has to bow down and, and worship this statue that I've made. And uh, everybody did it, except for Daniel's three friends. They refused to bow. And they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he said, I'll give you one more chance. We'll have the music sound and you can bow down. If you don't, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, we don't have to give you an answer for this. They said, our God's able to deliver us. But if he chooses not to deliver us, we're still not going to bow down and worship another God. We're going to worship our God. Everybody else may do it, but we're not. And here was Noah, a man who said, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm going to live for God. He was a righteous man in a sin-darkened generation. What does that say to us today? Stop making excuses. Everybody else may be doing it, but that doesn't mean you, you have to do it. You can stand for God. He's given you the resources that you need. You live a life pleasing to God today. Second thing he says about Noah here is he was blameless. Not perfect now, but here was a man who knew how to deal with sin in his life. If, if he strayed, he could come and confess that sin, and, and God would forgive him there. In a sense, what he's saying in that word blameless was here was a man that was unspotted, by a corrupt generation. I wonder how many politicians today would love to be described as blameless individuals. To have a record where nobody looking back over their previous life could find anything wrong to accuse them of. Now, that doesn't mean they wouldn't be accused, but uh, 
to, to be blameless and, and, and to know that they, they were unspotted by the world. Uh, I'm sure it was hard at times for Noah, but God gave the grace that he needed. He, was, he had received the grace of God. He had a blameless life here. And it didn't matter what others did. It didn't matter who accused him, who made accusations. He was going to do what God asked him to do just simply because he loved the Lord. And then the third thing that it reveals about Noah is here was a man who walked with God. That was his secret, I believe, to standing in, that, in a corrupt and wicked generation. He walked, he had a close walk with God. First John 1, 7 it extends that invitation to us. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we what? We have fellowship with one another, and his blood continually cleanses us there of all sin. Here was a man who realized that, who spent time getting to know God through the word, through prayer, through fellowship. I think it's rather interesting, and I was just thinking of that this morning. In the previous chapter, you have Enoch walked with God. What happened to Enoch? God took him. God says, hey, come on home. You've had enough of this world. You don't need it any longer. Come on home. I think Enoch pictures for us the rapture, the, the day when we hear that trumpet sound and God says it's time to come home, and I, I trust that you're listening for that trumpet sound. I, I trust that uh, you're anticipating the fact that any day now, Jesus could call his church home to be with himself. I think Enoch pictures that for us. But here was Noah, just as Enoch, he walked with God, and God sent him through the flood. And I think of, as we approach the end times, Jesus said the days of Noah there. What is he referring to there? The coming of, the second coming of Christ. Not, not the rapture, but the second coming. And Noah walked through those events just as there are going to be many people during the tribulation period that walk with God. There's going to be a tremendous revival taking place. I wonder how many times have we said, well, you know, I... I like the rapture to come, but I, I have a family member that rather I want to see come to the Lord, and, and we kind of hesitate to look forward to the rapture. It may be that that person will come to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. They may pick up some of the the books you've got in your house and so forth and see, hey, they told me about this and it came to pass, and and many of them will come and and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They'll pay a tremendous price for that, but they will do so. And I think we need to recognize that God leads people in different ways. For Noah, or I mean for Enoch, it was come home and be with me in glory. For Noah, it was be faithful. Walk through that valley, walk through that flood experience, I will be with you. And because he did, because of God's grace, you and I are here today. If, if God had wiped out Noah along with everybody else, there would be no mankind. We, we wouldn't have even been thought of or had, had an opportunity or a chance there. But uh, as we look at this today, and we'll see more next week as we move into the, the account of the flood and what actually takes place here and so forth. But for today... I think it's good for us to remember, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of man. 
This happened in the days of Noah. It's happening in our day. It could be that God is quickly coming back into this world. So as I think of my mother's question, where is this world headed? I'm drawn back to the conclusion it's headed right where God wants it to be. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. We have, the same as Noah, the opportunity to accept the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it speaks of the fact, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he speaks of the fact that uh, Paul, had a thorn in the flesh. Paul was going through a, a difficult time. We don't know what that involved. Uh, God very graciously hasn't told us what the thorn in the flesh was in Paul's life. And uh, again, I think he did that on purpose because let's face it, we like to compare trials, don't we? Or troubles. Somebody goes into the hospital and we've had that same operation. We like to go into all the gory details of how it was worse for us than it is for somebody else. Uh, It's just human nature. Uh, And so if God had revealed what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, guess what? My thorn in the flesh would have been worse than the Apostle Paul's. And I I could have an excuse not to to stand for the Lord because mine was worse than Paul's. But God doesn't give us that opportunity. He simply says, as he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. We're living in ungodly times. We're living in times when we see more and more violence creeping into our society, where we see that corruption. We see men and women crossing the the line as far as the barriers that God has erected and so forth. We're living in days when we see more and more of the, the demonic activity taking place. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I will give you the grace, he says, to go through whatever battle, whatever trial he brings our way. We're in the midst of that battle, but we have all the resources we need to walk with God today. And so it's our responsibility, I think, to stop making excuses. You ever blame your troubles on somebody else? You ever blame your problems on your parents? If only they'd have done a better job. You ever blame it on your partner? Uh, Ever blame it on society? God says, I give you everything you need, just as I gave Noah everything he needed, to live a righteous life in the midst of a corrupt generation. I know people today love to think and love to say it's worse today than it's ever been. I don't think so. I think it was just as bad in the days of Noah. And here was a man that walked with God. And and, uh, yes, it may be different temptations today, but can we stand? Can we live for God? I believe we can. We need to stop making those excuses, and we need to ask God to help us claim the resources so that we can have the victory that he wants us to have, irregardless of what everyone else may or may not do. We are called to walk with God. We are called to live with God. We are called to be an example of Jesus Christ to the generation in which we live. If you say, wait a minute, I I failed to do that this week, then ask God for his forgiveness. It's there. It's available. He said if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And I, I like what it says in Psalm 37. I think it's verse 23. It's not, I didn't write it down here, but it just came to my mind. It says, the Lord holds our hand. And when we fall, he picks us up 
puts us back on our feet and says, get moving again. And uh, he, he deals with the past and, he, and he, he sends us out on the mission that he has for us there. We need to recognize that if Noah could find grace in a sin-darkened, corrupt generation, you and I can live for Jesus Christ today. We can experience his grace in the midst of what's going on in society around us. Don't make excuses. Don't fall into the trap of thinking everybody else is doing it so I can do it. No, you do what God calls you to do. You live for God and let your light shine in a sin-darkened generation today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are, for what you do in our lives. Lord, we realize as you said in your word, that difficult days are here. It's tough sometimes out there in the world. You know that. You understand that. But you would come to us today and say, child, my grace is sufficient. I'll see you through this time and safely home to glory. And we thank you for that. And we pray that in the midst of the corruption that's creeping into our society, in the midst of the violence that's out there, in all that's going on, that you would help us to stand, just as Noah did, to be a testimony to Jesus, of Jesus Christ in a sin-darkened world, we pray in his name. Amen. And with that in mind, we're going to sing the solid rock, because our faith is not...